Hello and welcome to the Muni Oral History Project, where we explore the stories and rich history of the Springfield Municipal Opera over the past 60 years. Stories from the people who have built, experienced, and performed what we'd like to refer to as Muni Magic. Sit back and relax and listen to these tales of Broadway under the stars. Well, I am so excited to have here tonight Ed McMurdo. How are you doing tonight, Ed? I'm well, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Well, we are glad to have you. So um, Ed has performed on the Muni stage and he has, uh, did you direct or you assistant directed, right? I've uh, done both, directed and oh, he assistant has, directed. Oh, yes, but he's done both and he has choreographed too. Yes. So, um, so anyway, what was your first Muni experience, Ed? My first Muni experience was in the summer of 1985 when I f- saw Muni's first production of Evita, which featured Nancy Diefenbach and Russ Dunlap and Dennis Rendleman. Yeah. So um, then when did you get on stage? I was on stage for the first time the following summer, 1986, uh, with Muni's second show of that season, uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. Okay, so um, do you remember who directed that? David Lush. Okay. Was his name. Who were you in that one? I was one of the apostles in that yeah. show. And do you remember who else was in it? Oh, gosh. Eric Huber, who I'm still friends with all these years later, was in that first show with me. Joan Sestak, um, who still uh, helps on shows, is still around. Um, Terry Wells, who's still around and doing shows. Um, It's Mary McDonald's sister. Mary McDonald did the costumes. Susie Collier choreographed. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, there was a lot of folks. In fact, I'm I'm just running through all these faces in my my head. Craig Johnson was in the show and Cree Prince was in the show. Um, and these are all people that, yeah. um, to this day, uh, you know, friends on Facebook still. So yeah. It's amazing how many years uh, later. Okay. So then what was your first audition like? Of course, this was back in the cattle call days. It was the, it was in that spring of 86 held at Logan hall on the campus of Lincoln land. Mm-hmm. Um, I had been acting since I was 14, but only in plays, never musicals. So this audition was the first time that I had stood up to sing in front of a large group. And it was a large group because, as you said, it was the days in the cattle call back when um, whether you were there to audition or not, anybody could come and watch the process. And for me, that was completely normal because I didn't know any better. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody in the room. I didn't know who was there to audition that day and who wasn't. I assumed everybody in their room was auditioning or on staff or somehow involved in one of the four shows. I didn't know there was people there that come as they say, it was the best show in town mm-hmm. to watch people audition. Um, so I auditioned for Jesus Christ Superstar. I have no memory of what I sang for the audition, mm-hmm. but I do remember getting called back um, in a room for about... 30 of us and it lasted about three hours yeah so um what was your next show that you did then the next show uh, was the following summer i was in the ensemble of annie get your gun um, Mm -hmm. directed by paul presney 
Yeah. Do you remember who else, who were the leads in that? Burt Burkhart was Annie Oakley. Mm. She was fantastic. A voice that would just melt you. Um, and let's see. Oh, um, oh, I can't. His first name, I believe, was Kevin. And his last name just fell out of my head. Um, again, a beautiful voice. Played Frank Butler. Um, the late, great Mick Cass Stevens played Chief Sitting Bull. I don't know if you ever got a Mick Cass Stevens story out of anybody, but yeah. boy, could, boy could, Mick, uh, could Mick cut up on stage. Um, Mary Beth Baloney was in that show. Rick Dunham was in that show. Um, mm-hmm. Mary Crowley Harmon was in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. Again, a lot of people that I can think of um, that uh, are still around. I still see. Okay. So then just what are some of your favorite memories or favorite roles that you did? I joke that I have gotten to do some of my most unusual things um, on the Muni stage. Um, I've, in general, I've done unusual things. Danced on stilts, ate fire. Um, at Muni, I've tap danced my character's death scene. Um, there was a death scene in the musical Sugar, which is the musical version of Some Like It Hot. <laughs> and the, the death scene of my character, his, his entire character did everything tap dancing. He didn't say a line. He didn't make a movement. He didn't do anything without some sort of tap. Mm-hmm. And so he has a death scene. He gets gunned down in the bathroom. And in the script, he falls out of the stall dead. It was too boring. And so um, along came March told, who choreographed a tap dancing death scene for me. So mm-hmm. I didn't just stumble out of the bathroom. I was able to stumble out and then for about 90 seconds tap dance to, I believe the tune was T for two um, as I died. So um, I'd been lowered to the stage on a parachute harness. I'd been lowered to the stage on a genie lift. Um, <laughs> what I've were you to- lowered to stage on a genie lift on? And- it, was the, oh, it was the opening of How to Succeed. Oh, The yeah. genie lift was at its full height and was being driven out on one of the side stages, which preferably was a very nerve wracking perspective to be that high in a genie lift, having it moving and towards the pit. And Roger Holmes always come up to me every night and say, I don't know how you pull that opening note out of the air because you're so high up. How do you hear it? Because um, the orchestra was so far below me, and they were just noise at that point. Because the genie lift was making its own yeah. <laughs> whirling sound. <laughs> um, I do think the final scene of my one and only uh, Muni 1991 will stand out as a favorite moment. Um, I was playing opposite Courtney Young, and our characters had just crash landed on a desert beach, and right before the travelers uh, were to open the crew brought out a four foot wide trough that was the width of the stage. And they very quickly poured about four large outdoor Rubbermaid garbage cans full of water into it. And the scene opened on uh, Gershwin's classic, So Wonderful, um, concluding with this long instrumental section of Courtney and I dancing in the wake of that surf um, Mm -hmm. in the water. And by the end of the number, just drenching ourselves 
mm-hmm. and splashing water completely into the wings, watching the crew that was so hot those nights in July, standing there hoping that the water would, would, would reach them if we could splash it far enough towards them. So you don't get those moments indoors. Yeah. Um, indoors, I think we would have had to been a lot more subtle and how far and how playful we would have been in all that water. Yeah. Um, but on that stage, we, we had the freedom to play. So you said you've done a lot of dancing roles. Were, were you tra- trained as a dancer or did you just kind of learn as you went? Uh, literally learned as I went. I was cast in Superstar in 86 and bless her heart, um, Susan Collier was my first choreographer and she had a lot of dancers she'd worked with previously. And the numbers I was in, I was in the back or I was on a step. I just did arm movements. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Wasn't much I did. <laughs> um, following summer, when I did Any Get Your Gun, I began to get into dances. Um, that's, you know, the show had waltz and it had, you know, all kinds of, of different styles to it throughout mm. and um, kind of started falling in love with it. Yeah. So, um, of course, one role that I've heard mentioned that you did was Will Rogers and the Will Rogers Follies. Can you talk about yes. that show? That was a, that was an unexpected show for me. Mm. I had heard about it. I had heard um, that uh, composers, Coleman, or, um, uh, Aaron Flaherty's was uh, had composed, and I, I enjoyed their stuff. And it wasn't until I saw the it performed um, that I fell in love with it. And usually, mm. I fall in love with the show earlier. If I see it, if I, if I hear the music or if I think the concept is neat. Um, and it was probably the only time in my life, and I can't think of any other part I've done this for. The only time in my life I looked at the part and I thought, you're at the age right now that you could do this. Any other age, I don't think I could pull it off. If I was any older, I'd be closer to his age to tell his story, I think. Mm-hmm but it was so demanding physically. And at the same time, I thought if I was any younger, I don't know if I would understand someone like this who had great humor. Mm -hmm. Um, And my favorite part about the role when I saw it that I didn't get from the music, from just hearing the soundtrack ahead of time, I didn't know that he spent the entire show talking to the audience. And that's why I fell in love with it because it had, it was something I had done in shows before and I've done in shows since as a character to narrate a show in such a way. And I find it's one of the things I can raise my hand and actually say, yes, I, I do that. Well, I can do that. Well, and it was a joy, eight performances to be able to connect with a different audience every night, even though the jokes were the same to be able to come out and, and, and talk to each one of them as he did as Will Rogers did. So, Loved it. Loved it. Hardest work I did. Yeah. Who directed that? Susie Collier directed and choreographed it. Oh. And I don't think you can do it any other way. Tommy Toon did it that way when he first uh, directed it. Um, It's so intricate. Every number, every scene, every crossover, it's all connected in the the blanket of a folly show. And if you don't Mm -hmm. know that genre, if you don't know how that works it will fall flat on its face. And she was brilliant bringing that show to stay to life on stage. Who, who else was in it? Oh my goodness. 
my, my dear, dear, dear Deb Rudis played a character called Ziegfeld's favorite, which was Mr. Ziegfeld's favorite character in the Follies. And um, mm-hmm. she would come out and do these great bits with me and great bits with Mr. Ziegfeld. Um, and opposite me playing Betty Blake, who was married to Will Rogers, was uh, Cree Prince. Oh. So who played Mr. Ziegfeld? Or- oh, my gosh. I, somebody I was hoping I would get to talk about tonight. Tom Shrewsbury was Mr. Ziegfeld. Oh, Mm-hmm. Tom, Tom never Tom was rarely on stage mm-hmm. and it, it was a joke he would always joke about it you know you never want me in a musical and now and then there would be a non-singing role in musical that would have his name written on it and I was lucky enough to do two shows with him in which he played parts um, that were just suited for him one was a a nervous bumbling band all girls band manager um in the musical sugar um and then he played florence Ziegfeld in the will rogers follies which a la zach from a chorus line except zach of course is seen on stage during a chorus line we never see mr Ziegfeld. he is only a voice over the mm-hmm. sound system from the back of the house but the right voice will make him and the right voice will break him. And they, Tom knew how to do it. Did he do it live every night or did he record Every night, it? Okay. every night. Because there was so much interaction and so much timing and so much humor between our two characters. Yeah. And also between himself and his favorite, played by Deb Brutus. And oddly enough, also himself and the stage manager of the show, who was played by our stage manager, Kevin Cartwright. But several times, Mr. Ziegfeld had to call for the stage manager to come out and fix something that had gone wrong with the show. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah one, of, one of the great supporting roles, I felt like I got to play opposite and never once did we see him. Yeah. So um, what have you directed out there then? The first show I directed was The Unsinkable Molly Brown in 1992. Um, the story I can give you quickly about that interesting season. The season originally was to open with Molly Brown and was to close with Man of La Mancha. And I got a call one night from production and it was Florence. Verse told. And Florence, hi edits, Florence. Hi Florence. Well, we want to know if you want to direct. I hadn't put in. And this was back when Florence did not bend any rules. And I said, Florence, I didn't put in. Well, we need a director for Molly Brown. I said, well, it's first show, Florence. I can't direct it. I'm directing Nonsense, uh, which is running in May. And there's there's no way. Oh, shoot. I forgot about that. Okay. Well, thanks for thinking about it. Okay. Thanks, Florence. Hang up the phone. 20 minutes later, my phone rings. Ed. Florence. Hi, Florence. What if we move this season? What if we flopped it? What if we close with Molly Brown? I said, that's great, Florence, but I've only directed an assistant directed at Theater Center. I've never assisted directed at Muni. That's one of the rules, production rules. You can't direct at Muni before you assistant direct. There was about a beat of silence. I'll take care of it. (laughs) Hang up the phone. To this day, I can't think of another muni rule that woman ever 
sidestepped in our life. And for good reason, for good reason. Yeah. And I stood by every one of those decisions of hers. But that was the one I thought, wow, they either, they either really want to direct her or Florence really trusts me. Um, so that was Molly Brown in 92, um, followed by, let's see, then was Cinderella in 2000. Mm-hmm. And Seven Brides for Seven Brothers in 2004. Okay. So who was in Molly Brown? Oh, I do. Jennifer Jones was Molly Brown. Mm-hmm. And Randy Dunham was Johnny Brown. They were fantastic. Just perfect. Jennifer, Jennifer Jones was made for that role. Um, couldn't believe she auditioned for me. I'd seen her two years before in Best Little Whorehouse. And for me, she stole the show. It, it was her first show in Springfield. No one knew her. And she walked on stage and said, is the madam of the house at home? And I fell in love. And uh, two, so two years later, she auditioned and she was my, my Molly Brown. Yeah. yeah so um, then what about Cinderella? Who was in that? Cinderella, Mark McHugh was mm-hmm. Prince Charming. And Jill Poffenberger was Cinderella. Um, Mary Von Liske was the stepmother, and Joan Sestak and Sandy Fritz were the stepsisters. And Greg Donathan, it was his first show in town. He had just moved back recently. He and Liz had just moved back. I think I met Greg the year before in the concession stand, and then he auditioned and uh, was in Cinderella and Children of Eden that year. He was in both those shows. Yeah, and then Seven Brides, who was in that? Seven Brides, Liz Donovan was my Millie, and John O'Connor was my Adam. Okay. Yeah, so, and then, of course, you've done shows with Phil. What were the shows you did with Phil? We, Phil and I did, um, we first did Gypsy in 1995 with Georgia Dirksen. Mm-hmm. as Madame Rose, and Mary Young as Louise, and Curie Prince as um, June. And Barry Wise was Herbie. Great cast. Mm-hmm. And that was Phil and I's first show at Muni. And then we did uh, two Peter Pans. We did 01 and 07. Um, and then we did Big River in 2004. Okay, so who were in the Peter Pans? I I actually remember seeing the second one. I the first one was before my time, but the first one, uh, uh, Carolyn uh, Fleshley was our f- um, Peter Pan. She was Muni's first Peter Pan, so she mm-hmm. was eighty four, and then again in two thousand and one. Um, mm-hmm. And opposite Carolyn was Troy Kemp as Captain Hook, mm-hmm. and. Our Wendy was Anna Bussing. Mm-hmm. So that was our trio with that show. And then you saw the one we did in 07, which would have been yeah. Osney and John O'Connor and Christy Wilhelm. Yeah. So, um, okay. So, um, so what are you, some of your favorite memories then of like any, anything like either from the audience or on stage or from a director standpoint? Mm. From an audience, I always, I always remember the same thing. 
I think I said this. Somebody sent me a questionnaire not too long ago. Um, I think it was Ken Bradbury was putting together a show. He was asking for theater memories. And mm-hmm. when I think of Muni and I think of sitting in the audience, act two, a little night music, 2001, sitting and watching Cinder Reitzman sing Cinder the Clowns. Mm-hmm. She didn't move and neither did I for four minutes. I've never seen anything like it. It's not, it's not a song where traditionally the actress moves. It's, you know, they, they sit, but typically they will try to emote in other ways. They will try to adjust themselves mm-hmm. or try to look or, you know, all those things we actors do. And especially at Muni, especially mm-hmm. at Muni, when we have to, you know, do those things. And for four minutes, I don't think anybody moves. And I was mesmerized. Now, you would think at Muni, my most fond memory would be some big splashy dance number. And I have wonderful memories of things like that. I've been jaw-dropped at some of the things I've seen out there through the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one of the moments that sticks out for me. Yeah. So do you have any others that kind of stick out? I, I could... I could more side i would could almost ask you like give me a category what are you looking for <laughs> well looking for the dance dis dis well we'll get to that in a minute okay dance Moments, dance numbers i would say dance numbers that, that stick out um mm-hmm. 42nd street 1988 mm-hmm. was just a painting to watch on stage it was so mm-hmm. beautiful so beautiful um so that one jumps out at me um let me think what's the um anytime i see fiddler outdoors it does something to me um i remember seeing the 98 fiddler was gorgeous out there um uh what else do i love oh gosh anytime we can use fireworks outdoors Mm -hmm. there's something about that teddy and alice we were able to do fireworks every night um in the finale of the show. And we were able to do the same thing in Cinderella. Um, and that I've, the audience is not expecting that. You know, they're not expecting a 25 foot castle to come above the back wall with fireworks shooting off as, you know, as part of the curtain call. You know, they expect that as, as um, part of the big production number, you know. I think Muni does curtain calls well sometimes. I've seen curtain calls out there that, um, are true to the shows as far as uh, keeping in all the music that's made in that curtain call and making the most of it. Um, performances, if I could think of other performances, oh, it's like your brain just flashes by a million of them, you know? Um, anyway, if I think of any, I'll, I'll throw yeah, them out. Yeah, but, we can um, throw them out there. So then one of the yeah, phrases no, that we one of the phrases that we use often in theater world is the show must go on. And that can mean anything practically, but for this series, I'm framing it as mishaps. I mean, flubbed lines, choreography debacles, flub, just screwed up entrances, orchestra gets off from the vocalists. I mean, any, does anything come to mind? Every show, every performance, (laughs) but the audience never knows. And that Mm -hmm. is, that is the, God's honest truth. Um, so you almost have to think about the ones that you're never going to forget. 
So I'm performing in Teddy and Alice, 1990, and it's a monster of a costume show, and it's monster humidity. And at Muni, that means you underdress everything. At least indoors, you can get stuff on and off a little quicker. And at Muni, there's, there's no such thing on nights like that. You have to underdress. So I was changing most of my costumes directly off stage and in pitch dark um, because there could be no light since we're right off stage. So one night in the complete dark, um, the costume team, which included Mary McDonald and Karen Pfeiffer, who were flawless during the change every night, um, could choreograph it in the dark with me. I knew where their hands were going. I knew what piece had to come off next. Karen would always tap whichever leg she needed me to raise in order to remove a pant leg or pull off a shoe, et cetera. Mm-hmm. At one point in the dark, we both misjudged the distance between us. I felt the tap, but when I raised my knee, it didn't get very far before it connected with Karen's face, mm-hmm. um, knocking her obviously back to the ground. In the dark, I hear her crawling on her hands and knees because I'm ready to turn and go out without a black shoe on. I thought, ah, it's okay. Or kick the other one off and I'll just be barefoot no, or stocking feet. No one will notice. It's black. But in the dark, I hear Karen Pfeiffer crawling on her hands and knees. And I feel her from her hands and knees lifting my foot and shoving her my shoe on. And the lights are already up. So my momentum is already heading out on, on stage. And the woman got my shoe on. Now her husband, Bill, who God love him, has, has passed on. Bill was about 6'4 and weighed a lot. And the next night, of course, Karen shows up. She's very, very short. Karen has a big black eye. And Bill's standing next to her, who was a great kidder. But uh, there was a moment where I thought, oh, (laughs) because she was black. Sheer eye was black. So I felt horrible. But um, that's one of the ones that I will never forget. And then it's the, the mishaps I think of or I, that are burned in my head are not the ones that happen on stage. Cause I think those you just go with you, your mind takes care of it and you, you move on so quickly. It's the mm-hmm. stuff that's off stage that sticks with me. Those shows where you had monster changes like that. Um, the old days when we had a trailer stage mm-hmm. left. And if you had any kind of costume change stage left, you either did it, just in the wings or you crawled back into the trailer over the top of whatever was stored in there and found you a little spot back in there. If you're a little modest and change back there, that was all that was stage left that in woods, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, getting there and, you know, thinking, Oh God, please don't let any of my costumes had fallen off the wooden pegs in the dressing room because they did. And it rained the night before the water ran down the center of the dressing rooms out back. And so there was a gully a couple inches deep, which was good because the water would collect in the gully. But sometimes if your clothing or something fell into the gully, you show up the next night and you've got a soaking wet shoe or sock or something. So um, yeah, we fought more weather <laughs> in my early days. <laughs> and the Lundgren building was like the end all and be all of places to be because it was you know, the newest thing. And it was, loved it. Okay. Loved the Lundgren building. <laughs> yeah. So then one of the, 
phrases that we commonly use is meaning magic. And of course, well, you've been involved with Peter Pan twice. Of course, that is literally Peter Pan flying in through the nursery or the beast transforming into the prince. And then, of course, to some people, it is just being transported to far off places, being immersed into a story. What does meaning magic mean to you? I've always felt that Muni synonymous with outdoors, being under the mm-hmm. stars, which I've always associated with a magical place. As an audience member and as a performer, the experience is just so different. And we can discuss humidity and rain and bugs and how that affects us when we're enjoying outdoor theater. But there's something about being in open air. No ceiling above you to bounce your performance back to you. And we talk about having to be big on the Muni stage because the audience seating is so wide, but it's so much more than being broad or loud. It's about filling that vast air with the performance. Um, And I think Muni audiences respond in ways that no other audiences respond because of the magic of outdoor theater. We find ourselves shouting and clapping and cheering and expressing ourselves in ways that we just don't do indoors. Yeah. So then also another concept that we commonly use is Muni family. And that can literally mean a family being involved in this show, whether you have family members on stage and then the ones that aren't are backstage doing hair, makeup, set crew, or just front of house ushering every single night. Or then there's also the concept of lifelong friends. So what does Muni family mean to you? You know, simply put, the family that I chose for myself, Mm -hmm. um, the family that's 35 years old, Mm -hmm. some of them 36 years old now, um, as far as years of of friendship, um, just like my biological family, it's the family that's still with me today. um, Mm -hmm. And the family that I continue to be honored to create with you know places like muni the freedom to create out there you again we can talk about limitations on space and budgets and stuff but all in all the the freedom to create a vision for these shows Mm -hmm. um, in a space with outdoor theater um, you just don't get it anywhere else when you share that with people that have the same type of creative minds. Um, ah, it's an experience you just taste it. It's, it's so palpable. Um, and what a beautiful thing for the spirit to have connections that last that long. And it's very few people I know that have been involved in Muni, um, you know, five, 10, 15, that, that don't have those types of friendships yeah. and relationships. And I love that. All interconnected too. Mm-hmm. So who are, that kind of segues into the next question is who are some of the special people that you've worked with out at Muni? I you know, know this is a hard one for a lot. You of people. know, I know after working with hundreds of theater people, it, it could be your all day gushing about people. So I, I wanted, to, I, I deeply wanted to, to, to have talked about Tom Shrewsbury tonight. So I'm so thankful I did. And Florence too. Mm-hmm. Um, Florence was such a staple for me. She sat at the top of the hill outside the old concession stand. She was, uh, you would be there earlier most nights than, than Florence. Um, but she was there every night. Whether she was 
chair of a committee, chair of whatever, or just being chair of the um, trustees. Florence was there every single night, every single performance, every single year. I, I do not remember a night leaving and she'd stay. That's what she would do. I saw her every night because she'd stay in her chair. She'd have a seat in the audience, but she sat by that concession stand in her chair, just a plastic wood, just one of the plastic chairs sitting out there. And to be able to stop by every night and how did you, what'd you think of the show tonight? You know, well, energy was better, you know, or, you know, she was always mm -hmm. something positive, something positive to go home and walk to your car every night and think, okay, I'm going to take that one home tonight. Um, loved her. Alice Payne, Alice Payne, my dear Alice Payne, she and I would laugh so hard. Alice would sit up there those Wednesday nights before we would open. And she was my favorite person to sit by. Because it'd be slower nights, just slower nights to get started. And Alice would get going. I don't know if she was tired or just got loose-lipped. But she would start flying with stories of some of the folks that I had grown up, like, I don't want to say, you know, looking up to out there. You know, the Dennis O'Briens that, you know, were the Steve Kaplan's and the people that have been around for a while, you know. That I, and she'd tell me stories about when they were little ones out there running around and she gets a cackling and <laughs> laughing and a great spirit, a great spirit. I, I miss her. I miss all of those ladies that would come and sit on those Wednesday nights and watch Betty Ward um, who directed for, um, for them would come out and watch. I don't know if anyone's talked about Betty, dear lady, dear lady. Yeah. But the people like that are, still with us now and eh, we'll gush about them later it's these it's these beautiful ones we've lost right now that um I yeah hope people and then have a to talk of course about. that kind of segues into another one that we just lost is gene Ribley. i mean he was muty's biggest cheerleader i mean he he always had his wisecracks but i mean he cared deeply about muni and he was always there and um he'll be missed do you have any Uncle Gene stories. You know, it's so funny. You, you, you just, you summed up Gene so well, calling him Muni's biggest cheerleader because boy, he really was, mm -hmm. he really was, you know, what's so great when it comes to Gene Rupley's stories, that when I, when I hear the question, do you have any Gene Rupley stories? My honest response is no, none that I can share, um, <laughs> which is an honest response because I cannot think of an encounter with Gene Rubley that would be appropriate to repeat in any venue. Mm -hmm. And that's a God's honest truth. But at the same time, on the heels of that would be then a conversation about theater and a very honest conversation about mm -hmm. theater. Gene was not afraid to say, did you see that piece of crap last week on la, da, da? And I, no, Gene, you know, I was just so shocked that he was... He was like the CF, Sophia Petrilla, you know, he just, the, the, the filter was gone there sometimes with, with Gene. Um, but then other times he would, especially someone that was new on the scene, have you seen so-and-so? So, you know, no, I haven't seen him, Gene. Because he volunteered at the museum. So I got to spend a number of years, my gosh, a dozen years uh, with Gene volunteering at the museum. And uh, it was through Gene that I got to hear about a lot of the, up and coming younger performers because he would see them first mm -hmm. and he'd say, Oh, you've got to check out so-and-so what a voice, what a dancer, 
Um, so no, no, Gene will be missed. Yeah, he was a force. Yes, he was. Do you remember him in the Iron Lung in City of Angels? Very well. Very well. Again, <laughs> went for the part. He was like, I can do that. I can lay, I can lay on a table. <laughs> you know? And I love that. I love when people go after, look at a role and think, you know, that would be fun. Um, John Akeen. Do you know John Akeen, Jacob? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she just, she's on the board now. So. Yeah. John Akeen and Joan Sestak looking at the dancing cow in Gypsy and going, I think I want to be the dancing cow. <laughs> and so that's what they auditioned for. You know, these beautiful voices moved so well, great character actresses, and they wanted to be the dancing cow. Now, the fight of who was going to be the, the rear end and the front end was a whole different ballgame once they got <laughs> cast. But that's exactly what they did. And they had a ball. And they were so funny as that dancing cow. Because if you've ever seen Gypsy, she is a character in and, her, in and of herself. So. Yeah. So then the last question I have, of course, yes. is the deep one is what makes me any special? Oh. It was a place for me to belong where I could express myself and find myself and be myself. And I don't know how much simpler I could say that because I had never had a place in my life until I walked into Muni where I could do those things, feel like I belonged, feel I was able to express and feel like I was able to be just who I was. And I think that's a lot of why I became the person I am today was because of those experiences that finally given me a place to be that person. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Ed, you for spending so much time. And um, we will talk soon. You have a great e- rest of your evening. You too. Thank you so much, Jacob. I appreciate okay. you including me. No problem. Talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Muni Oral History Project. This is an ongoing effort to capture the memories and stories of the Springfield Municipal Opera. If you have pictures, videos, or stories you'd like to contribute to this effort, please email history at themuni.org. Your hosts have been Jacob Potty and Craig McFarland. Production assistance by Vanessa Ferguson and Jeremy Geckner. Special thank you to the Muni Board of Managers and the Muni Board of Trustees for their support in this effort. And thank you to all the Muni family who continue to help us create magic every summer.